Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. I, I get the privilege of opening the scripture for us this morning, and I'll be more efficient if I find some notes. The, there's so much that can be said. I just want to draw our attention to four quick verses together, but I think we'll read through them twice at least, so you'll get to soak in it a bit. Um, how many of you have ever sat with, like, your grandfather when he's telling the same story over and over again? Uh, do your grandparents do that? Um, my grandfather passed away ooh, a little over 20 years ago now. Um, he was 95 at the time. He was born in 1905. And lived through so much. Uh, things like the automobile, <laughs> you know, electricity getting into the houses. The Great Depression made a major impact on his life. You could see throughout his later life how much of an impact the Depression made on his planning and thinking and how he'd make choices and, and things. Um, his wife died in childbirth uh, in about 1941 uh, when my mom was five years old. He was left at that time with two young kids and one surviving twin newborn. And, uh, and it, it was something, it was funny because when I was growing up, I just felt like, oh, there goes grandpa again. Same stories again about how they drove from Iowa to Indiana. And the amazing thing was they didn't have a flat tire. I've heard that before. I've heard it, Grandpa, I can tell that story myself, you know, but but I'm supposed to sit still and listen. Do you know the feeling? And, you know, and, and the older I grew, the more I appreciated the things my grandpa took the time to tell me. And the more I appreciated that they weren't just stories, there was wisdom built in, and that it was worthy of respect. And... You know, when we look at the scriptures here, we're looking into First John this morning. And, and John's letter is written not when he's the young man who left his nets and left his father Zebedee and started to follow Jesus in the early days. Uh, this letter may have been written around, nobody knows for sure, but let's just ballpark it at perhaps as much as 60 years after Jesus had died and risen from the dead. And, and here's the Apostle John, in many ways, still saying the same things. And it's because there's nothing more profound and nothing more precious than the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so here's what John has to say. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at, And our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John spent three years following Jesus on earth, walking, talking with him, eating with him, laughing, crying, seeing Jesus suffer. And so many decades later, he's still all about what he's seen and heard about Jesus because it wasn't just for a moment of his life. It's that the eternal life itself had broken in on the earth. Here's what he says. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
The life appeared. We've seen it. And we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, this fellowship that he, that he wants us to be able to participate with him, says that our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. You know, I read that and, and I hit where, where my translation says our joy, uh, complete. I think, hold on here a second. I mean, is this like a selfish kind of thing? It's like I'm doing this for me rather than I'm doing this for you. Uh, it turns out that the, the possessive pronoun there, it's a little unclear what was originally written and meant there because some manuscripts that we have uh, end up saying your, most of them say our, and it's one of those spots in the Bible where over the years uh, it's not exactly clear which pronoun he was using. And so different English translations, sometimes you'll find them saying, I write this to make your joy complete. Some say, I write this to make our joy complete. And do you know what? Regardless of which pronoun is there, it actually wraps up to meaning just about the same thing. Because no matter how we parse the pronoun, what John is talking about is something shared. He's inviting us into a fellowship that he's experiencing that involves shared joy together. Uh, So uh, he says there's really two purposes to the proclamation. He says, we proclaim Jesus, this one, the life itself, who's come down from heaven. So we're proclaiming Jesus to you really for two reasons. One is the fellowship, that you can be part of fellowshipping with us and with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and that in that fellowship, there's shared joy. It's a marvelous, beautiful thing. And so, uh, take a, take a peek here. And so just as the shared fellowship, fellowship with us, fellowship with God, the joy is the same. It's a joy we share together and a joy that we find in the Lord Jesus. So here's another translation. I'd just like to read through these a second time. This is the New Living Translation. Next slide. Where same verses, it's going to sound pretty similar here, but just catch the nuance in a little different wording. It says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we've heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself has was revealed to us and we have seen him. Now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. And we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. I don't want to tell you anything new this morning. Now, if you're new here and you haven't heard the good news about Jesus Christ, I'm so thankful you get to hear it this morning. 
But for those of us who've been here for some time, or if you've been a believer for some time, please hear this. It is not my goal to come up with something new that you haven't heard before to tell you. I want to do only what the Apostle John is doing here, which is to make sure that we never lose sight of the one who's come to us. That this one who's come near, who's brought us the experience of eternal life, is still the one who should be the center of all of our attention, our affection, our focus, and all of our joy is really found in Jesus. Corey started us out last week in what's going to be several weeks of us talking about the joy of the Lord. And he showed us from Nehemiah. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I think it'll be posted online soon. And I recommend that you get a hold of that. You know, between teaching children and traveling, I know that, you know, for most folks, you don't catch and hear every sermon here on a Sunday. But take the time to dig into it because there is some degree of coherence. It's what the we believe the Spirit is saying here to the church. And as Corey was speaking about the joy of the Lord from Nehemiah, we show that God speaks his, that it's a time of joy, even in a broken situation, even when things are so falling so far short of all the promise of the way God intends it to be. Yet the joy of the Lord is to be with us in those moments. And here we find that for the apostle John, who himself was continuing to suffer on behalf of his testimony for Jesus, all of his attention, all of his joy is found in the experiential relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And and that's the reality for us, guys. The proclamation, all this stuff that we talk about and we say we believe, it's a person. These aren't abstract ideas. It's not some intellectual conception and philosophy. He's a person. It's God himself who became flesh, who entered into the world in space and time, was touchable, handleable, could eat with Jesus. And John did exactly that. And so his proclamation is a person. And it's a proclamation, not of an idea, but a relationship, an experiential relationship, something that we actually touch and handle and taste and say, my life is different because of Jesus. And it's for you and me. It's not just for John and people 2000 years ago. It's for you and me today because Jesus has not changed. He's the same yesterday that he is today as he always will be. And when he returns in glory, he's the same Jesus who died and rose again 2,000 years ago. And we, you and I, we're invited into fellowship with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. And guys, that's where joy really is. That's where life really is. And it matters so much that you and I learn to recognize and reject the lying voice of that tempting serpent who wants to tell us that we can do better anywhere else. That somehow, you know, when we're we're just not feeling it all the way, even like Brett was, was teaching and sharing with us a handful of weeks ago, that when you know you believe it but you're not feeling it, don't let that tempting serpent tell you that you can get a better offer anywhere else than God. Hello? Because there's a common theme in the temptations. When we find the serpent speaking, when we find the tempter actually speaking in Scripture, he kind of has the same thing to say every time he brings it up. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the garden or in the desert. And here I'm comparing what I'm comparing textually. 
is in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had it made, guys. It was all good. It was paradise. And everything was good and going for them in their life. And the serpent came and said, God's still holding back on you. And there's something better you could have if you don't obey what he says and you take it into your own hands. And the other text that I think of when I think about the tempter speaking is when Jesus was being tempted in the desert. You'll find it early in Matthew's gospel. And there, Jesus hasn't eaten or drunk in a long time. And he's in a time of lack. And he's hungry. And he's short. And the devil comes to him at that time. And he says, God's holding back from you. You'd be better off if you took it into your own hands and you got something good for you. Why wait on what God has to say? And brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter whether we're in a garden season in our life or a desert season in your life. It doesn't matter whether you're going and everything seems great or whether it seems like it's so hard. The temptations are the same. That if we just took it into our own hands instead of looking to the Lord, it'd turn out better for us. What is that? What can we call that? It's a lie. And to recognize that clearly is part of part of what matters so much for us. And the solution for us is to press in closer to Jesus, whether we're in a garden or whether we're in a desert. It's Jesus himself. That which, as John says, that which was from the beginning, the life, the, the real life, it's appeared. The words become flesh, brothers and sisters. Jesus has come to us full of grace and truth. And there's no greater fullness than we find in him. And you know what the Apostle John is, is saying here? Uh, it echoes for me. It sounds a whole lot like what Jesus himself had to say to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 11. And what Jesus said there, I think I've got it on a slide if I'm lucky, if I planned ahead. Uh, let's see. Yeah, great. Uh, John fifteen eleven um, says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. That's good. I, I, I just, that's just beautiful. There is a joy in Jesus. Can you guys just let that sink in? Take it out. What kind of God is he? He's happy. He's not angry. There's a joy in Jesus that he gives to us. He says that my joy may be in you. And if my joy is going to be full, my joy is going to be complete, it's because his joy is in me. Amen? And he says, these things I've spoken to you so that you... My joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So what was he talking about? What are these things that he's alluding to there? And there's really three of them. I've popped them up there in the context in John chapter 15. The first is, he says, abide in me. Camp out, settle in, remain in me. Don't try to go somewhere else. Stay in me. That's... You know, I I guess for me, I find it both encouraging and embarrassing because it's so basic. Uh, And yet, when I look at the challenges and struggles in my life, so much of it hinges on this one thing. And I wish I were better at it because it seems like so much of the battle of faith rests on this one thing. Am I abiding in Jesus or am I doing my own thing? 
And it just comes down to that one simple thing. In some ways, these other two uh, things that Jesus mentions are just the way that he expands on that point. So back up in verse 4, he's telling them, remain in me, abide in me. You're, you're a branch in a vine. You don't have life in yourself. You only have life when you're connected, so stay connected. And the other two are his ways of expanding that one idea. To do what? Remain in my love. And he says that directly to his disciples. Remain in my love. Out of all the things you question in your life, all of the whys and how did this happen, remain in his love. Don't let the circumstances of life call into question whether God really loves you. Remain in his love. And the other part, do what he says. You know, I mean, there you go. Three lines. There it is, following Jesus. You know, it's embarrassing for me that he keeps it so simple. But we need that. We really do. Um, and I want to say this to us. Brothers and sisters, let us never move away from Jesus at the center. You know, if, if you love theology, you know, how many love theology? There's a few of us who love theology, right? Don't love theology more than you love Jesus. Because there's, the theology isn't the life. Jesus is, right? Don't let your study of theology to become just intellectual. Let it be a way of knowing Jesus more and more and more, right? If you've been a believer for many years, Don't go looking for something new or different to tickle your fancy because the familiar becomes just somehow over-familiar and doesn't grip your heart anymore. Instead, please, keep gazing more and more closely at the one who is eternal life himself. Come close to him who was with the Father at the beginning and has made visible the invisible God, Jesus himself. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the one who's brought all of who God is into handleable, visible form. In him, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. And brothers and sisters, there is nothing deeper or more profound than the gospel of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing richer or more profound that we can study or explore about God than God who's become flesh, his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And and I'm belaboring this, uh, aware that there's something that's maybe a little subtle or elusive, but is really important for us about how we actually do that. Um, because I found that sometimes Christians with really good intentions will kind of make a mistake in how we use the scripture to try to do that. And we can find ourselves taking verses usually from the New Testament epistles, I mean places like Paul's letters, that talk about the results of abiding in Jesus, and we meditate on the verses that are telling us what the results of abiding in Jesus are, and we try to substitute that for actually abiding in Jesus. Uh, And you look at me like, can you give me an example? What are you talking about? Well, hang with me here for a minute, because I first want to make sure you know that I'm not saying that learning and memorizing and repeating those verses is bad or wrong. It's actually good. They're inspired by God. They're profitable. They're in here for a reason. But their reason is to point us to Jesus. And what I don't want to see happen is for us to go to the doctor, get a prescription for what we need, and eat the piece of paper that the prescription's written on instead of actually taking the medicine. Right? Because, well, like, earlier this week, Karen was at work, 
And, and she was, uh, there was a bit of a breather in breaks between patients. And she was looking through different recipes on her phone. You know, I was looking up some recipes online and she was reading through this recipe. And apparently she was making noises about it. She go, mmm, 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 mmm. And, and the nurse who works with her says, it's lunchtime. Stop looking at recipes on your phone. Go warm up your lunch and actually eat it. Right? And sometimes we can be like that with our Bible verses. Don't meditate on the instructions instead of following the instructions. Meditate on the instructions to the extent that they show us and teach us how to come to Jesus. But like, so for an example, take the verse Corey was preaching from last week from Nehemiah 8 verse 10. Right? It says what? Does anybody remember what it says? That the joy of... Don't discourage him. Come on, a little louder. The joy of the Lord is your strength. How many believe that's true? It's true. But guys, the verse is not our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so the precious value of the verse is to point us to the Lord who's our strength. So memorize the verse, but don't try to find your joy in the verse that says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Find your joy in the Lord. Amen? And so here's what I mean. Let me recommend that we soak our souls in the Gospels. That we come close to the Word made flesh and and to draw near to Jesus. Soak yourself in His interactions with people. His word, soak yourself, if when you're in the epistles, soak in the parts that are directly proclaiming the word of life, that are, are reveling in and delighting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Soak yourself there. Soak yourself in places that are proclaiming the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we draw near to him and we find grace to help us in our times of need. That's why I'm not trying to teach you something new this morning. I do want us to look closely to Jesus as he's already revealed to us and to call you to put into practice what you already know about him. So there, there's a few places the joy is not found that are worth mentioning here. And one of the places joy is not found is in trying to do things for God without relationship with God. Um, the, there's no greater delight than doing things with God for the sake of his glory. Laying our lives down for Jesus is such a wonderful privilege. And the fellowship even of sharing in his sufferings is a fabulous place to be. But to just do things for God, hoping that that might somehow earn me his favor, or that if I just do this for God, that he'll be happy with me, There's no joy in that. Jesus hasn't called us just to be servants. He calls us friends. And he invites us into fellowship with himself, with the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. And and the person of the Holy Spirit is the joy of the Lord who indwells us. The person of the Holy Spirit is the joy of the Lord who indwells us. Joy is not a commodity on its own. It's a fruit of the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Cultivate your relationship with Jesus 
and do things with him. Yes. And in addition, joy is not found in eliminating all of our problems so that then, oh, hallelujah, got rid of all of the problems and now I can be happy. Now there's joy. That, that's not the biblical reality. It wasn't the case for the Apostle John. He's, his joy is found in the midst of good times and bad times because Jesus never changes. And the psalmist David in Psalm 23 says that you, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And God has a place for fellowship with him, even when there's enemies all around us, even when there's obstacles and challenges and difficulties and struggles that we're facing. And, and Jesus is still the same right there. And so I invite you to gaze closely on Jesus, to keep him as your focus, to draw near to the Lord and invest generously in your relationship with God. It's never a waste of time to pray. You know, those times where we feel like we're too busy and we're too on the go to settle down and pray. There's actually something getting more and more hungry in our hearts and starving a bit. Take the time to fellowship with your father. Find the Lord with you in the things you're doing. I, I've seen some some articles that I've read actually fairly recently. I've read some articles that um, talk about the joy of the Lord as a duty and responsibility that you and I have to make sure that we rejoice in God. And frankly, I haven't found that perspective particularly helpful for me. Uh, I'm already wired to feel like so much is up to me to do. And Jesus not the joy itself, is our focus. Jesus, uh, not any of the other things that come, is our focus. And when we draw near to Jesus, we meet and encounter him. That's one of the reasons why each Sunday, virtually every Sunday, we share communion together. And in fact, I could use some help. Uh, if some brothers and sisters could help us pass out the uh, communion elements. And, and Corey, why don't you give me a little help too here? Um, get a little music as well. We, we have such a privilege because Jesus gave this to us for us. Uh, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we need that. You know, there's nothing special really about the bread. I mean, we appreciate the Stoners baking it for us virtually every week. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful gift for us. But there's nothing spiritually magical about the flour and the salt and the yeast and the water that they put in there, and and bringing it into this building didn't magically make it more special. Um, the wine, this is really young wine. It's just grape juice. I think it's about 0% ethanol. And, and there's nothing magical about the elements that we're about to share. But you know what this is? It's a moment of grace. It's a moment of encounter where Jesus invites us to eat and drink at a table in his kingdom where right now today Jesus is enthroned. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in majesty. All rule and power and dominion belong to him. The day is coming when Jesus is going to return and all injustice and evil will be put down when the fullness of the kingdom of God will take place. And the prayer that we pray today, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will be a very present reality. But don't be fooled by what you see with your eyes. He's in control today. Jesus is on the throne. And every time we lift up this bread, 
Every time we take this cup, we're proclaiming that there's one Lord, that there's one Savior, that there's one name above every other name. And it's the name of Jesus, the word of life who came from heaven, who's entered into time and space, died on a cross to make us whole, to bring us into fellowship with the Father and to give us his Holy Spirit. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for everlasting love. Lord Jesus, thank you, even in your resurrection, that you did not leave us as orphans. But through your marvelous grace, you've sent your Holy Spirit to us. And so, Lord, in line with your word, we say thank you. Thank you that on the very night you were betrayed, you took the bread and you gave thanks and you broke it. And you offered it to your disciples saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, why don't we go ahead? If you've received the bread already, let's go ahead and take the bread together. Lord Jesus, thank you for a cup of forgiveness. Thank you for this cup that you said to your disciples is a new covenant for forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you for a new covenant, an unbreakable relationship. Lord, your own commitment, your own marvelous grace. Lord, we thank you that it's your work, not ours, that gives us your righteousness. Lord, thank you for making us your own. Go ahead and take the cup as well. So Lord, we commit ourselves, body and soul, to your grace, to the service of your name. Lord, thank you for grace that's greater than the ways that we've not given you attention. Thank you for grace that's greater than our our distractibility, Lord. Lord, we refocus together this morning. We declare you are the one. You're the eternal life who is with the Father and who's come to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you in your precious name. Amen.